She's not tanning, look at us go Watching pitch perfect, twilight is torn, man Weekend is gone, watching her love Rose that went by that you don't know And I can't drink her, this is her time Away we go, mm -hmm. away we go Away we go, mm -hmm. the Annie Kendrick show Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Kicking It with Kendrick. We are talking about a very special movie in my opinion. A very good movie that I'm excited to see. Uh, and of course, the beloved Jeff is here as always. What's up, Jeff? Oh, I'm beloved now. There you Thank go. you so much. Thank you for the warm introduction. It's the least I can do. Like, we must celebrate because this is the, what, Oscar-nominated film from Anna Kendrick. Yes, our girl Anna Kendrick has gone from simply being a Tony nominee to being an Academy Award nominee in 2010 with the movie we're going to talk about today, Up in the Air. Yeah, I mean, I I think I've like seen heard of this movie. I've never really given it much thought, though. Obviously, it's an Academy Award winning movie. I know not award winning. Sorry, it was it was in the eighty second Academy Awards. I should say. Yeah. See, that's the interesting thing is looking back at this year. I want to know why isn't this an Academy Award winning movie? Well, I think to do that we must go through the categories it did not win, of which there's a few, and really narrow it down. Where where should we start? What do you think? If we want to get a really good picture of the cinema landscape in two thousand nine, two thousand ten. There's no better place to start than Best Picture. Best Picture, of course, this year being won by The Hurt Locker, directed by Catherine Bigelow, but also including as its nominees Avatar, District 9, Inglorious Bastards, A Serious Man, Up, one of only a handful of animated features ever to be nominated for Best Picture, Up in the Air, which we're going to talk about very soon, Precious, based on the novel Push by Sapphire, an education, and finally, The Blind Side. Yeah, this was honestly a pretty... It feels very stacked. At least, I feel like a lot of these movies I have heard of, despite this being, like, what, 13 years ago? Like, I feel like they maintain a decent presence in, like, movie culture still. I mean, Avatar, obviously. This, this feels like more of a... It's nominated for Best Picture just because of the cultural relevance of, of Avatar. Maybe not... I mean, it's. I think it's still a really good movie. Mm -hmm. But there was, like, I guess a lot going for... This was the year of Avatar, right? Like, there was a... I, I don't want to say it. Like, it, it was really big that year, and I feel like it just flooded the entire movie landscape, and I feel like it's what a lot of people were talking about when the Oscars came out. I've said before, and I think I've said this on our podcast before, what makes a classic movie isn't whether or not it's good, it's whether or not it endures. And usually the movies that do endure are good, but not always, right? And... When I'm looking at this Best Picture lineup, I'm seeing a lot of what I would consider modern classics. Like, these are enduring movies that still maintain a presence. Up. Every child still knows about Up, and it's 12 years old now. There are kids that, like, 
know and have seen Up and are very familiar with it who weren't even alive when Up came out. District 9, even though like it's not something that everyone goes back and rewatches necessarily, it kind of puts South African filmmaking on the map for a bit. Avatar, we're about to get a sequel to it. You don't make a sequel to something that's not relevant, right? Well, don't answer that. Multiple sequels. Four sequels, in fact. <laughs> right. Four sequels. At least planned, yeah. Wait, did you mention, like, I, I guess, I've heard so much about Precious. I don't know if that was, like, because of that year it was a big noise, made a lot of noise, or I've heard about it just a lot of movie conversations since, but, like, it's, I feel like that was a pretty big movie when it came out. It probably was. I don't want to come across as being unfair to it. Most of what I heard about Precious was also that year, so... I, I don't know. I haven't seen it since then, and I haven't heard much about it, but, like, I'm sure it's really good. It won big at these awards. It won at least two, and one of them, two of them we're going to talk about. Have you seen it, or do you know anybody who's seen I, no, it? No, I haven't. <laughs> That's the thing. I feel like I've heard a lot. I've heard it referenced a lot, but, yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't actually seen it. Wait, did you mention Inglorious Bastards? I, I can't believe it's here if that makes sense. Like, I feel like it would have been huge the year it came out, but I think it was, like, kind of under the radar at this point. Really? This is the year it came out? No, I, I mean more like, when, when I looked at this list, I wasn't expecting Glorious Bastards to be there. Because I feel like it's an amazing movie, but compared to everything else, I feel like the other ones made a lot more noise in some ways, if that makes sense. Even though Inglorious is probably the best movie here. I had to guess. Maybe. I'm not sure, because I was going to school in Germany at the time, and I remember Inglorious Bastards was doing gangbusters over there. I had friends raving about it. And, like, I'd seen it, I think, I saw it, I think, the second time in Germany. I saw it mm. once in the States and then once in Germany. And at least a couple of times since, it's... Inglorious Bastards is one of my favorite Quentin Tarantino movies. Not my favorite, but it's up there for sure. Yeah. Well, maybe it's under, like, to... Did what's his name not win best supporting actor? Oh, he did. Okay, yeah, that that was his big first win. Okay, I remember now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, this this yeah, yeah this is a really stacked year mm-hmm. for movies. From what you know, who do you think should win? Should have won, and why? If not the Hurt Locker. The biggest problem that I have here is I have not seen the Hurt Locker, so I can't say whether or not the Hurt Locker was deserved. I mean, I've heard a lot of good things about it. I'm sure it was good, but. From what I'm looking at right here, just going from the movies that I've seen, it would be a very, very close race to me between Inglorious Bastards and Up in the Air. And while I think Up in the Air is... I'm not even sure. It's really hard for me to decide because Inglorious Bastards is, in my opinion, probably Quentin Tarantino's best movie. And Up in the Air... I haven't seen very much of Jason Reitman, but I feel fairly confident in saying that it might be his best movie too. And Up in the Air is, I don't know, they're both so good. I can't really decide. They're both like five star movies for me. I don't know which one I would put in front of the other, but it would be between those two for me personally. Yeah, I think for me, Glorious Bastards for sure. Maybe District 9. I, I saw District 9 once recently, or relatively recently. It is a really good movie. And I'd say, like, I don't know if, like, as a movie, it stands up as, like, solidly as Inglorious Bastards, but I mean, like, I think just in terms of, I mean, maybe I'm kind of lumping it in with Avatar, too, but I, like, I think District 9 is an amazing uh, showcase of 
technology in terms of, of low budget CGI technology, if that makes sense. I thought it was really cool. Mm-hmm. And like the way they filmed it, I think this was back when um the what the mockumentary format or the I guess not how do you how would you call it when it's not a comedy? Is it it's found footage, I guess? Found footage. I mean, you could still kind of say mockumentary. mockumentary. I don't. I mean, I it was it was that. kind of a parody movie in a lot of ways, even though it was it was like a dark comedy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think like uh, I, I thought that was really cool seeing that style, especially because I, I think the style of mockumentary still holds up because I think it, the way they did it is relatively unique still because you see a lot of mockumentary stuff now just because it's cheap and easy to film or relatively mm-hmm. easy to film, so you see a lot of that now. But I think at the time it felt very innovative. But I mean, also like. Yeah, Avatar. Avatar, just in terms of the technical innovation. I don't know how to say it. Like, it's not the best movie for sure, but I, I still, it's an experience. And I, I feel like I haven't seen many movies since that really capture that that scope, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That feeling of being in that theater for the first time seeing Avatar. I think that, like, kind of what you're hitting on is a really important thing to think of in Best Picture because... I mean, everyone looks for something different in movies, right? Like, I'm I'm always looking for a good story, but, you know, someone else might be only interested in the visuals of a movie. And, like, with a best picture, the reason that... I, I want to say sometimes the best picture really does just go to the wrong thing, but no matter how much anyone thinks that, like, the best picture goes to the one that the most people thought should be the best picture, the most voters thought should be the best picture. So like, it's hard to evaluate because you've got to evaluate it in like every measure. And like, that's hard to do for anyone. And it's hard to do concurrently, especially. That's why so many, what I would consider classic movies get completely passed over and why so many best pictures just sort of fade into nothingness eventually. Like Mm. when we saw How Green Was Your Valley, it's like, it's not that that's a bad movie. It's just that with the benefit of hindsight, there's so many other good movies, so many better movies that were nominated that same year. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like, I guess this year just feels like a lot of, if you prefer this, you might like this movie more. A lot of these movies feel very different. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I really got to commend this best picture lineup because if nothing else, it is an incredibly varied lineup. Yeah. Like you've got an animated movie there. You've got a drama that is like about current events at the time. You've got a wildly ambitious space movie. You have a football movie, I'm pretty sure. You've got a mockumentary in South Africa. There aren't two movies on here that are anything alike. And that's really impressive. Because yeah. that's not something you see in every Best Picture lineup. Yeah, it's true. Really good year for movies, I guess. Mm-hmm. Honestly, if I, I, think, I feel like if I were to see The Hurt Locker, I might agree with this. Um, but if not, I'd say probably Inglorious Bastards mm-hmm. for who I think would want I would want to win. Um, but yeah, I mean she she made Jeremy Renner a, a, an Oscar contender. I think that's really impressive. <laughs> I don't I don't know what she did or like I haven't seen the movie, but like I've never really been truly impressed by a Jeremy Renner performance. So I mean, like, no shade to Jeremy Renner, but like he seems like a great dad, but like not much more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that just might be the roles he, like, I feel like he cares a lot less now in some ways. Well, Um, I gotta say, I I mean, I guess, like, 
my main exposure to him is through Hawkeye. And in as the character of Hawkeye, he's playing a great dad. So maybe yeah. that's just where maybe he's just really good at acting and good. I only know that and I only know him from one role. Yeah. But anyways, I guess we'll talk more about Jeremy later, maybe. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Okay, now we got uh, best director with I guess a lot of the same candidates we just talked about in some ways. Yeah, actually, this is a year. Sometimes in best director, you'll get someone who like isn't anywhere close to being represented for best picture. Like it'll just someone will just sneak into best director without being nominated for anything else. Not the case this year. All of these are best picture nominees. We got Catherine Bigelow who won for The Hurt Locker. There's James Cameron for Avatar, uh, who obviously did not win. Uh, Quentin Tarantino in Inglorious Bastards, Lee Daniels, and Jason Reitman for Up in the Air. If you had to pick a winner. I mean, again, Catherine Bigelow getting the Oscar-winning performance from Jerry Remember. She must be a really good director. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I kind of want to pick her. I just, I, I guess I'm a little, because I haven't seen anything else from her other than Zero Dark Thirty. Which I liked, but I don't remember being particularly memorable. Like, I think I liked it in the moment a lot, but, like, I don't remember anything about it other than Chris Pratt was in the movie, which was kind of cool. And it was about the assassination of Osama bin Laden. But from what I can tell, like, I didn't love her style necessarily. I really want to give it to, like, James Cameron or Quentin. I think, again, like, I think James Cameron's ability as a director to really push boundaries, I really admire, so... I kind of want to say him. Whereas Quentin, Quentin, I think, made an amazing, amazing movie, but I don't, I don't necessarily think Inglorious Bastards is gonna like push film forward. If that makes sense. I guess this is another. This is another category where I feel like I'm being a little unfair by just not having seen The Hurt Locker and Precious. But with that said, I'm gonna stick to my guns here. That Inglorious Bastards is the best Quentin Tarantino movie. Oh, for sure. And I think that it's the I think that Inglorious Bastards is not only the most Quentin Tarantino Quentin Tarantino's ever been in his directing, but I think it's also the best version of that directing. Specifically, like the way that he lays out the story, honestly, the performances he gives. There's so many iconic performances in Inglorious Bastards that he gets out of actors who already give iconic performances in other things like the very first scene with brad pitt is incredible and this is a scene with brad pitt we're talking about like he gives incredible performances everywhere and that's one of the ones that i would consider like a defining moment Mm. of his career when i think back on it Mm. same with michael fassbender this is where michael fassbender like really entered my radar he gets a performance out of mike myers that is extremely short, but like still really meaningful and like good. And that opening sequence is one of the best opening sequences I've maybe ever seen in a movie. So I gotta say, for me, best director is easily Quentin Tarantino. Though um, we're gonna talk about Up in the Air, but when we talk about Up in the Air, I don't think we're gonna talk about the directing at length. I think the directing was fine. It was very good even. But it was very subtle. I don't know what there is to talk about it. Yeah, I I agree. <laughs> There's not much to say. I, I thought he did an amazing job, but I, I couldn't really tell you like, oh, this this is his style or whatever. Yeah. Or what necessarily he brought to the table that someone else couldn't that that knows of filmmaking really well. So yeah. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, anyways. I, I Yeah, James Cameron. But you're right. I think, actually, now that I think about it, after seeing uh, what's-his-name's performance as the main character in Avatar, I might be double-guessing myself <laughs> because I really don't think... Uh, he. I think he maybe directed that poorly. I don't know. But anyways, moving on to uh, Best Actor. Who do we got here? We got George Clooney for Up in the Air. Colin Firth for a fantastic movie called A Single Man. A Single Man being a movie that is not represented anywhere else, I think. This is one of those ones that just snuck in there, like I was saying earlier. Morgan Freeman as Nelson Mandela in Invictus. And Jeremy Renner, Academy Award nominee, Jeremy Renner for The Hurt Locker. And, of course, our winner, Jeff Bridges for Crazy Heart, or in the movie Crazy Heart. Yeah. How how many of these movies have you seen? (laughs) I've seen three. Three out of five again. Okay, cool. Nice. This is a this is a three out of five year for me. I uh, actually haven't seen any of these movies, so except for Up in that's, the Air, obviously. I was gonna say that's not true. You've seen one. I have, yeah, I have at least seen one. So I I think it's easy for me to say George Clooney probably is my pick. I do also think that like George Clooney, and again, this is one that we will talk about at length later. George Clooney is so good in Up in the Air. I think that this might be my favorite George Clooney performance I've ever seen. And so it is very hard for me to not pick George Clooney in this list. I'll admit, I haven't seen Crazy Heart, but I also honestly don't know what Jeff Bridges must have done to be picked over George Clooney. Because George Clooney is incredible. And like, I guess... Uh, if Jeff Bridges was even better in Crazy Heart, I gotta see Crazy Heart now, because that says a lot, if that's true. Yeah. That said, Colin Firth in A Single Man, such a close second. I don't know if you've seen this movie, or you said you hadn't. A Single Man is about a man who is very depressed. He is a university professor, and it's about him on the day that he decides to take his life. And it goes through his entire day. It's very heavy. And I would have to rewatch it to see if I think it handles the subject matter well. Because I remember really being moved by it when I saw it. A lot of things where that has been the case, I've gone back to them later and found out they didn't age well. I'm hoping that's not the case with this. But more importantly, Colin Firth handles that role so beautifully. It's like, This is actually possibly a career best performance from Colin Firth, too. So once again, we are dealing with the best George Clooney performance versus possibly the best Colin Firth performance. And like, it's hard to pick. But as we'll talk about in Up in the Air, George Clooney is just unbeatable this year, in my opinion, despite the fact that he got beaten. So... (laughs) He's unbeatable until he isn't. <laughs> I mean, I guess. It out, yeah. it's, I, I hate, like, it's a lot easier to talk about the Oscars right before they happen and then be mad when they're done. Yeah, exactly. I guess it's a little different now. But yeah, I, I George Clooney, I, I, wouldn't, I don't want to say he carried this movie because, you know, he's, this. I think this movie's great in so many different aspects, but he was, he really brought this to, like, another level, you know? And I don't think there's yeah. many actors with the charisma and he has like so much warmth yet so much like coldness at the same time. I feel like that really, 
I, I think like captures this character. He's such a horrendously sad character and you never get that because he's so warm and charismatic and like just a pleasure to be around. It's, it's really something like, I definitely don't think any other actor could have pulled that off in that movie. I don't know which other actor could even pull off a comparable role in something else, though I'm sure there are some. Maybe, honestly, closest thing I can think of offhand, Colin Firth in A Single Man. (laughs) There you go. Unfortunate. Um, But yeah, no, and I think it really helps too that I think people see him as George Clooney, funnily enough. Like, he doesn't really need to sink into the character. I think Mm -hmm. just like, because I I feel like, because I already know him. I mean, he's basically, I feel like he's playing himself in, in a, a lot of ways like in this movie because um, i know like in general he's just a very charismatic person right um mm-hmm. but like I, I feel like a, a more character actor probably wouldn't have i guess fared as well because when i see george clooney i'm automatically put in a certain mindset for him which i think mm-hmm. is aided by the tone of the movie if that makes sense like that's what they want mm-hmm. yeah anyways first clooney pretty good so Finally, there's two last, three last nominations, technically, two last categories that Up in the Air was nominated in that I feel like we really should talk about at least at some length to um, sort of paint a picture of where we are in 2009 or 2010. Uh, The first one, I think it's going to be a very brief conversation. Best Adapted Screenplay. (laughs) This one was, we had Up in the Air, obviously nominated. In the Loop and An Education were two other British movies nominated. District 9 was nominated. And of course, the winner, uh, this is one of the the big places where Up in the Air was beaten by Precious, based on the novel Push by Sapphire. I just wanted to say what all those were, because... This is one where I've only seen Up in the Air and District 9. So I do not feel qualified to speak on this one. And also, like, I've never actually... I don't know anything about the different things that were adapted here to create these screenplays. So I really can't speak to how any of these were adapted. And I've only seen two of the movies. But I don't know. What do you think? I I actually really like this. I think District 9 screenplay is is really really good so i i'd probably mm-hmm. put it above this um i i think the screenplay in this is really good too but i think there are parts of it that felt a little cliche i guess or and maybe a little bit of it was like kind of i don't know felt like it could have been cut out but maybe that's more of an editing thing i don't know well i was gonna say my ideal in when i'm looking at best adapted screenplays and it's some it's it's a reason that best adapted screenplay is a really difficult one for me to judge for me, a screenplay, like like a screenplay can be good or bad, and you can judge that on its own merits. But when we go to best adapted screenplay, the main word for me is always adapted. Like, I want to know, like, who, which writers took some pre-existing material and, like, really elevated it to another level, made it something that could only happen as a screenplay, and, like, is supplementary at worst, and, like transcendent at best versus whatever it's adapted from. Uh, The problem is that makes it really difficult for me to judge what I think should be the best quote unquote adapted screenplay because I generally speaking don't have the time to go through all of the different things that were adapted 
or that these screenplays are adapted from. That would take a while. So like, yeah. I've heard, or from what I've read about the novel up in the air, the novel is quite different. And oh. it would be really interesting to me. I mean, I wish I had read that novel because what I'm interested in is how did they take this novel from what it was and turn it into the poignant commentary on the 2008 financial crisis that it was. And like, uh, I think Rachel said this in an episode or in our Christmas episode, Up in the Air is one of those weird movies that captures the like political landscape of the time or the socio the socioeconomic landscape of the time in a way that like no other movie could because it, it it captures like the idea of these people that are just coming into the workforce only to find out that there's no jobs for them really right as that's actually happening so that's fascinating to me and i want to know like does the novel also deal with that or did they work that into the movie in a way that seamlessly worked with the novel you know that's why with these other ones i also can't tell like how are they adapted because i don't know the source material that they're coming from although district 9 seems like it would be the easiest one to check the source material because it's based on a short film yeah i i think it's the the same concept but just expanded basically mm-hmm. so yeah yeah that's a good point adaptive screenplay i mean there's there's a reason the oscars separate it from everything else so i think that's that is important, like how they work with the original material and shift mm-hmm. it from there. So, yeah. Uh, but I also don't want to read all that stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't know if I'll do the I'll do that either. Oh, I read enough books for this podcast. And I'm saying that after having read one book for this podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah. But then last last of all, this is actually a really heavy category for this movie. Best Supporting Actress, um, where we have Monique. Uh, wait, yeah, Monique for Precious, Penelope Cruz for Nine, Vera Farmiga for Up in the Air, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal for Crazy Heart, and Anna Kendrick for Up in the Air as well, which is crazy considering, you know, half, I guess almost half this category is from the same movie. Um, that is... And they're the only yeah, female that's... characters in the movie too, from what I remember. Um, oh wait, no. I guess yeah. They're the only. There's, there's Melanie Linsky too. Yeah, they're, they're the only. I guess higher, more re- relevant ones. If that makes sense. But yeah, they're they're the two most prominent for sure. Yeah. Who do you think? I feel like you want one of these two to win. If you had to choose. Yeah, it is definitely one of these two, and for me, it's very easily Anna Kendrick. I liked Vera Farmiga in this movie. We'll talk about her, I'm sure. But Anna Kendrick is on a whole nother level. Like, I'll spoil this right now. This is my favorite performance by Anna Kendrick in a movie that we've seen so far. Damn. I, I definitely think she was really good in this. I don't know if I, I can gush as much over the performance as you. I actually really like uh, Vera Farmiga in this. I mean, I, I feel like there's not many actors that can match. Well, because it's like, I, I guess, I don't know. I feel like George Clooney just has chemistry with everyone in this movie. So it's hard to be like, Vera Farmiga did like a really good job having chemistry with George Clooney, but I feel like she really, she was like sufficiently able to capture like a very similar character to George Clooney's while being a little different. And she had a light side and a dark side. And she also very convincingly portrayed both sides of that without me being like, where did this come from? If that makes sense. Yeah, I get exactly what you mean because like, 
if you were to just gender swap George Clooney, you would get something very close to Vera, Vera Farmiga's performance in this movie. Like yeah. she was able to match his energy certainly better than any other actress could have. Yeah, like and and then some, right? And I, I was, I guess, I was really surprised because I feel like there's not many actors that, yeah, like I said earlier, not many actors that could match that that level of charisma and excitement. And I, I wasn't expecting because I don't really know much. I've only seen Vera Farmiga in, you know, the Conjuring movies, uh, which are really good. I think she's amazing in those, but I think she's kind of not pushed to the side by she's very subdued, relatively subdued. Mm-hmm. I've seen her in Godzilla and Hot and hawkeye which i thought her characters were eh in those uh, but this shoe was really really good so i wasn't expecting you know vera farmiga to come out of nowhere and just swipe like like really get at this role so amazingly um mm-hmm. so i i mean i haven't seen these other roles <laughs> either but i would have to pick uh vera farmiga i think between the two now this is actually an interesting um category here because as you said there's we have two nominations from the movie up in the air I'm sure you remember last year at the Academy Awards, we had another movie that had two actors nominated in the same category, Judas and the Black Messiah. Now, ultimately, in that case, Daniel Kaluuya won. And I think it's probably realistic to say that given the choice between Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield choosing a best performance from that movie the reason one of the reasons Daniel Kaluuya won is that he was the better performance in that movie but both of them got nominated because Lakeith Stanfield was a very notable supporting acting performance it's just somehow strange that Daniel Kaluuya got into that same category but I know that at the time there was a lot of question of oh will this split the vote between voters and ultimately lead to a different actor coming out on top. The reason I bring this up is, with all due respect to Monique, do you think that that may have happened here? Uh, yeah, for sure. I think, especially considering, like, like I, I, I didn't, I didn't feel like they were very out there roles. If that makes sense, I feel like everything they did was basically felt in service to the story like I didn't feel like any, either of them really like branched out if that makes sense right like they didn't own the movie you know mm-hmm. so especially in that case I feel like if you were to like this movie and wanted to pick one of those two it would be really tough especially because they're both completely different characters right they're they're acted very differently so yeah. I think like a lot of people might have picked up in the air as like okay I know I want one of these two because they are so integral to the movie though that it would, I think that would split a lot for sure. Like this isn't like a like a like I, like for a comparison. Like if this was someone like Heath Ledger for The Dark Knight, and he was nominated with someone else from The Dark Knight, you would instantly say Heath Ledger, right? Like it's not even a contest. Whereas this is like because yeah. he like steals that movie. Whereas this is more like they are both in service to the movie, and um, they don't stand out that much. If that makes sense, even though they're both amazing roles. Yeah, and they're both they're both big roles but they're both different roles. Like Mm -hmm. you can come out of this movie and you can remember Vera Farmiga as the best performance. Mm -hmm. You can also come out of this movie and remember Anna Kendrick as the best performance. Mm -hmm. Like you're not, there's, there isn't one that is so much stronger than either than the other one. And neither of them that like you would be confused why they're in supporting instead of in lead actress or something. Yeah. 
So yeah, that would make it tough, I think, which definitely possibly affected the what happened. Though I do remember a lot of I, I remember a lot of praise for like the acting in Precious. So I, I don't want to like make it sound like Anna Kendrick specifically was robbed and would have won if the vote hadn't been split, or that the same or the same for Vera Farmiga. It's totally possible that like they were well behind Monique either way. Because I've you know you said you've heard a lot of good things about Monique. I, I've heard Anna Kendrick specifically talk about how good Monique is. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, it's not, I, I mean no disrespect to Monique here because I'm, because her performance won and it didn't win for no reason. Like she did really good. Yeah. I just can't say that from my own experience. Cause I didn't see it, but still. Yeah. That's fair. So yeah, it's, <laughs> this is a tough year to talk about. Cause yeah, we haven't done our, Completely done our research. But yeah, anyways, I guess those are the 82nd Academy Awards. Yeah, you said we haven't completely done our research, but clearly we did our research on at least one movie, which we're going to talk about here in just a couple of minutes after a very, very brief break. We'll come back and we'll talk about Oscar-nominated, but not Oscar-winning film up in the air. Hello, I'm Mark, co-director for the upcoming Academy of Death Races Festival 2022. The AODR Festival is an international online celebration of some of the year's best short films, as well as showcasing some great upcoming talent in LGBT filmmaking. Join us from January 14th to the 30th to see award-winning films from all around the world that have been shown at Cannes, South by Southwest, Tribeca, Sundance, London, Toronto, LA, and more. You can grab your full festival pass now for only $15 over at AODR.net. Don't miss your opportunity to see the best short films of the year before the Oscars at AODR.net. We're back here to talk about the movie at hand. We're going to talk about Up in the Air. I have a lot to say about this movie, Pierre. Why is that? But I'm going to send it over to you first. Can you tell us what this movie's about? Sure. So this movie follows a... I don't know what his specific role is, but it's George Clooney who... What he does is he fires people for a living. Oh, I guess he's a, you know, he's a corporate downsizer, which basically is... His company is hired to send people out to fire people from a company and then set them up for the future, if that makes sense, like to mitigate the risk of the company getting sued or the person getting really upset and moving them along the way so the boss doesn't have to deal with that. So he travels mm-hmm. a lot during the financial crisis. So a lot of people are getting fired. So that, that plays heavily into the themes of this movie. But then also he's confronted with the fact that his job might change because there is a new technology in this movie that involves webcams and video, uh, I guess, video calls where he won't have to travel anymore because his company will be asking them to fire people over a video call instead, which mm-hmm. obviously is a huge change on George Clooney's character because he loves traveling and that's his life and he doesn't know what it's like to really settle down, which I guess is a, I'm realizing, not so subtle metaphor for <laughs> for him. <laughs> you know, being slightly, or not not immature, I, I wouldn't say immature, but he's, he's in a stage in his life where he doesn't want to 
live a normal life or settle down with a family or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and then he is teamed up, I guess, by his company with Anna Kendrick, who introduced the video firing concept to show her the ropes and how to fire people, but in person. He's not happy about it, but I guess this is his last chance to travel before the company shuts down on that. And he takes up that opportunity and firing ensues. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, also he meets a very lovely lady played by Vera Farmiga. I think her name's Alex, mm-hmm. right? I believe so, yes. Yeah, that brings into question his feelings about things. That that's the movie. What did you think? I mean, there's there's I feel like there's a lot of themes to play with here. And they're definitely the essence of the movie, if that makes sense. I had not seen this movie before about two days ago. I had not seen this movie since it came out. And straight up, I just forgot how good it was. I think I originally watched this on a plane because, and, and that's that's Very a little funny. bit of foreshadowing. This movie hit for me on a very personal level because this movie came out while I was going to boarding school in Germany. And so I was on planes a lot, not nearly to the degree of like Ryan Bingham in this movie, because he's on a plane every single day. But like I was going to and from like from Nebraska to Germany and back probably two or three or four times a year on grand total of three or four planes each way back and forth round trip. So I was on a lot of planes at the time and I watched this on a plane and I didn't remember this, but this movie is about people that work based out of Nebraska. So this movie has a lot of very specific personal connections for me, which I thought was incredible. But then one thing that would not have resonated with me at the time is I didn't realize that this movie was as current as it was. When we had Rachel on the podcast, she mentioned how this movie really captured people coming into the workforce in 2008, only to realize that there is no work for them. And that's perfectly embodied here by Anna Kendrick's character, who comes into a business where she fires people for a living. And like, that's the work that there is for her. That's what she's allowed to do is... She, she gets to come into a business where she has tells other people that they no longer have a job, which, wow, what a great life. Since then, you know, watching it now, 12 years later, I definitely don't specifically relate to Ryan Bingham here, but I thought it was really powerful how Ryan Bingham embodies a specific kind of almost ecstatic loneliness that like, he doesn't even realize he's miserable because of how fully he's embraced a lifestyle of pushing everyone away, which to me almost like, again, I don't relate to this specifically, thankfully, or at least I certainly would never say that I do, but it sort of reminds me of like more poignant portrayals of depression because this is a guy who spends all of his time pushing everyone away and never seems like he's not in a good place. Like he always seems like he's doing just fine and he's got his life worked out, but actually he's miserable and he can't keep any kind of relationship, be that a family relationship, a relationship with like a girlfriend or like even friends for any amount of time. And, you know, I've experienced things like that where like 
you either end up pushing people away or like it feels like you can't hold down a relationship, any kind of relationship, whether you actually can or not. And so for me, this is like, this is almost like a guy who has depressed person problems, but like by choice, which is very strange, but somehow George Clooney nails it. Mm. I'm ranting at this point. What do you think of this movie? Well, I mean, like, uh, like what you said, I, I think, because uh, the movie never straight up feels depressing, right? Yeah. I mean, well, maybe a bit at the end, but <laughs> that's a little different. But I, I, I guess because because of the performance of George Clooney and how upbeat he is. Well, well like, to me personally, I don't necessarily see, because a lot of the movie is about, it, it feels like everything around him is convincing him to settle down at this point, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like his job is getting to a point where he... Uh, will have to live in one place because they won't pay for his travel anymore. Mm-hmm. He meets someone he seems to have feelings for and gets along with really well. He is talked to a lot. I guess Anna Kendrick's almost like a... She's very different than him. Like, ironically, she's very inexperienced, like, socially. Because, you know, like, in her in the job, for example, uh, she's very bad at firing people. <laughs> you, you, you see that yeah. a lot, right? Um, she's very robotic, but then ironically, she's also the one telling George Clooney, like, don't you have like feelings? Like, how can you just live like this? You, know, you need to love someone and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. What else? Oh, his family doesn't know him very well. Like, he has a very impersonal relationship with his family. So there's like a lot of things that are telling him, like, hey, like this life isn't for you. But he doesn't fe- doesn't seem to feel that way. And I don't necessarily disagree. Like, I think he he didn't seem that upset living his life like that you know i think mm-hmm. maybe eventually there I, there might have been some hidden emotions there that i didn't realize but like the movie doesn't really set up a backstory for us to really have a reason to believe that he is in a bad emotional state all the time if that makes sense right well i i don't mean to imply that he is either like when i'm saying he seems to me like a depressed person it's the environment around him and the way that he lives his life are the ways that like a depressed person lives their life. Does that mean he's depressed or even in a bad state emotionally? Not necessarily. It's just that like, and that's why this movie is as interesting as it is, is because he's ecstatic in this lifestyle that is almost aggressively antisocial and like completely shuns human contact basically and yet the movie gives us very little indication that he you know doesn't want to be there that that is the wrong life for him i mean all well that's that's not true the movie gives us lots of indications that that is the wrong life for him but it gives us very few indications that like he feels that way at many points in the movie uh yeah well i guess there's a lot of I mean, I, I think a lot of this movie is actually, like, even though it's a very straightforward movie, I think, a lot of it's, I think, very up to interpretation, too. I think you can look at this. Because mm-hmm. it, it doesn't, I guess it doesn't really answer, it doesn't feel like it answers many questions, but it really brings up a lot of thoughts from yourself. Like, uh, I remember a, a couple conversations with Anna Kendrick where they're discussing, like, what what's the point of love, if that makes sense, because her character goes through mm-hmm. a weird arc with that. I mean, in general, these aren't questions you, you can answer in, like, no one can answer, like, what what is the point of love or romance or whatever, right? But it does talk about mm-hmm. them, and I think 
it's interesting enough, even though there's no answer, it's interesting enough seeing them go back and forth about it. But what's also what's interesting is that because you say like, or he, there's lots of signs he is a depressed person, but then also, and he's a very antisocial person, but it's amazing how they contrast that with he is in a lot of ways in a, an extremely social person because of how many people he meets, but not, not also just meets, but like, like the way he fires, he's very good at firing people. Yeah. Um, and he does that in a very personal way. Cause they, they show the contrast for Anna Kendrick. She is new to the job and she doesn't really understand people yet. So, or the situations yet. So she, she has like a script that she follows, you know, like she's mm-hmm. like, we, we see many times she tries to fire different people and she'll say the same thing over and over again. Whereas George Clooney, when he fires someone, he like, even though he doesn't really care for them, he, he actually shows a lot of, he, he shows he understands people, if that makes sense. Whether that's like mm-hmm. potentially like, I don't know, sociopathic behavior. I don't know. Cause yeah. Cause like, there's this one scene at the start of the movie. It's a really good way of introducing the character where he meets Zach Galifianakis to fire him. He, he shows like a lot of compassion for the character. And then when Zach Galifianakis <laughs> leaves the room, he's like, well, I see you again. And then George Clooney's like, oh yeah, I'll, this is just the start. And then the next thing you hear is, I'm never going to see that guy again. <laughs> that was really funny, especially considering, you know, I thought Zach Galifianakis being a bigger actor, especially at the time, I thought we would see him again in the movie or something. But we, we do never see him again. He doesn't have top billing, but he's pretty high in the billing too. I was a little surprised that he never came up again. Yeah, well, same thing with, uh, there's a lot of like J.K. Simmons too. He had, he had one scene. It was a really good scene, by the way. Yeah. Really, really good scene and really well acted. <laughs> I think he has like maybe fifth billing and he's in the movie for maybe two minutes. Yeah, J.K. Simmons has like, I think he's got, his scene is the best example of what you just said, basically, in this movie. It's one where Anna Kendrick is trying to fire him. J.K. Simmons being this man who's worked for the company for, I don't know, probably a dozen years or something. And like, is now going to have to go home and tell his wife and kids, I don't have an income anymore. And uh, yeah, we're screwed. You know, she she's saying all the lines. Try and think of this as an opportunity. Yeah. And he's just getting madder and madder. And he's like, well, you know, you've got kids. Do it for your kids. It's like, I don't think my kids are going to look up to me. And then George Clooney comes out of nowhere with, I don't think your kids ever looked up to you, man. <laughs> and then still manages to turn it around because he's so charismatic, because he actually cares about people. He manages to turn that around into, I don't know, did J.K. Simmons leave there in a good mood? Not necessarily, but he left the room without killing anybody, which, you know, he was getting close to doing. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, no, I, I think he, well, I mean, it's also like he's, he has a job as a motivational speaker too. So I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of talent there as well that the movie reminds us that he is someone that can inspire people. And that skill is actually brought up a lot of times like in aspects that are not his job too, which I really liked. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of like subtle, there's a lot of subtle, really funny touches in this. This isn't a comedy, but it is a really funny movie in a lot of places. Like George Clooney being a motivational speaker his speech that he constantly gives mm-hmm. is how to not be con- committed to people, yeah. which like 
I mean, maybe that's something that certain people need to hear in certain situations, but it's a really, really weird thing to have a motivational speech about. <laughs> yeah, and sure. like when he tells that to his sister, she's like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> like, you are not okay. Uh, yeah. Also, there's the, it's subtle enough that I didn't notice it until I thought back on it. Anna Kendrick keeps doing things over text that like you shouldn't be doing over text. Early on, her boyfriend breaks up with her over text. Later on, she submits her resignation to the company over text. <laughs> but then this is the part that I didn't even think about until I thought back on it just now. Her entire character is enabling companies to break up with their employees over text, basically. Oh my God. Because when, when they start off, she suggests this new way of firing people that's just video conferencing. That's the same thing. Yeah, it's I, just it's just as impersonal. I didn't think of that. That's a good point. Actually. And I think that that's that's a big theme of this movie is that the the contrast between being extremely impersonal and being like personable and actually interacting with people, because even though George Clooney, like, just doesn't want any commitment ever, he still like, is very adamant that when you do something important, you need to do it in person. Anna Kendrick represents basically a generation of, I'm going to say business practices, basically, that are basically become less personal in order to keep our company's profits higher, basically, mm -hmm. but represent basically just dropping as many commitments as possible and like not having that personal touch. That comes across in like almost everything. Even George Clooney's character's relationship even ryan's relationship with alex vera farmiga's character is despite being like literally about as close contact as you can get i mean they're having sex with each other it's very impersonal like there's very little there there specifically is no commitment there and there's very little like contact or relationship at all yeah i guess I don't know. I, I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I think this movie does its themes really well. And that's what I really appreciate about this movie is it's written in a way where I can basically keep coming up with themes on what this movie's about. And I'm probably always going to be at least a little bit right. And more than that, all of those themes play into just about every plot line of this movie. Like, I can find elements of the same theme that's being expressed by Anna Kendrick's boyfriend breaking up with her over text. I can find elements of that in George Clooney's character, in Vera Farmiga's character, mm -hmm. in the way that the story is written, in Jason Bateman's character. Like, I can find elements of that impersonality in everything. The idea of, like, not really having a home or, like, not really knowing what you're supposed to do next that's in every single one of these characters, right down to Ryan Bingham's sister, mm -hmm. played by Amy Morton, who, when we finally meet her in person, doesn't have a home anymore. She's, she's living at a hotel. Every theme that this movie has, it not only communicates effectively, but manages to communicate it through almost every one of its characters in some fashion, and like almost every one of its plot lines also in some fashion. Yeah. I do want to talk a bit about the plot if we can yeah absolutely i, I think the i mean like i i i think the, the structure is actually really interesting like the whole i want to say i don't even know when the, the second act would end if that makes sense like the 
Because I, I feel like a lot of stuff happens in, like, the, the last third of it, I want to say. Yeah. Because there's a scene. Are we doing spoilers at all? Is that something we're touching on yet? Yeah, I guess, like, here's your last spoiler warning. If you've made it to this point and you don't want to have Up in the Air spoiled for you yet. Okay. There's a packet in front of you. I want you to take some time and review it. All the answers you're looking for are inside those pages. When he goes to his sister's wedding with Vera Farmiga. I mean, like, I, I think it was interesting to see, like, the contrast, I guess, in their lives. Um, obviously, we see how disconnected uh, George Clooney's character is from his family. Like, it, it feels like a very big detour. At that point, I was, like, very much like, oh, the pacing is really weird here. Like, I don't really know where this is heading. Because I felt like the point of the movie was he's going to settle down with someone, right? And at that point, I was like, okay, this is, a really, this is a good movie so far, but it feels kind of cliche at this point. I mean, I think the wedding was kind of an odd scene. It's very different from the rest of the movie because he's stuck in one place, and we see a lot of uh, romantic scenes, I guess, which we don't see a lot with him. And also, like, that, uh, Danny McBride comes in, and I thought, I mean, he plays such a weird... I've never seen Danny McBride so in such a serious role, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. He's just a normal guy, you know? Yeah, so I thought it was weird there, but then I think it all makes up for it at the twist at the end, when we find out that Vera Farmiga's character, Alex, actually has a family, and she is not the one person George Clooney seemingly had feelings for, I want to say almost like, well, in a very long time, was lying the whole time, and she's actually married with kids and in no position to, like, it doesn't, I guess they never say whether she's, like, cheating or not, like, maybe her and her husband have a, actually, no, I guess she was cheating. Because she, she had to keep it a secret, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe, yeah, it, it was, she was cheating. But uh, I thought that that did twist everything on its head, which I thought was really smart. Um, and in some ways saved the movie for me because I think it was leading down a very cliche path at first. And I think that once that happens, it it's like you have a lot of these themes that are set to, I guess, kind of culminate or like lead into each other. And then once that happens, it's like everything's like out the window. And in a good way though, like, because I, yeah. I, it made it unpredictable and it made it so much more interpretable, right? Because that twist doesn't necessarily disacknowledge everything he's learned and felt throughout the movie. He's definitely a changed person, mm -hmm. but we don't, the movie doesn't give us a conclusion to that. We don't necessarily find out how that changes him. And it's up to our, our head to, I guess, decide how the themes that fed into his character will affect his journey in life from here, you know? in the couple of scenes that happen after that twist moment are closer to what you would expect. Like he meets up very briefly with Anna Kendrick's character. He goes back and meets up with his boss and Anna Kendrick's character gets a little bit of an epilogue. He sort of like hashes things out with his boss and then he goes back on the road and then we leave him in an airport. And that's more or less what you would kind of expect at the end. Mm -hmm. But just because of that twist at the end, that entire thing feels so much more resonant because it's weird. It's like we have all of these plots sort of nicely wrapping together. Then that twist comes up and throws everything out of whack. And then when everything does kind of nicely wrap up, it doesn't feel like anything's wrapped up because like the only person who doesn't get a nice bow on their plot line and like, that we can stash away and say this person has a completed story arc is the main character. And because of that, it's exactly what you said. It's open to our interpretation of like, what do the events of this movie mean for Ryan Bingham going forward? 
do they mean anything? He is a changed person. What does that mean going forward? Like, yeah. he's a changed person, but he's about to go through another season of work. So is anything going to be affected? It yeah. really... I, I didn't necessarily interpret the ending even as he's going back to work, if that makes sense. Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be, right? Yeah, I know. He could have been because we find out he he has 10 million air miles to you yeah. or something. He, he The last scene is him at an airport looking at the departure. So he's either doing it for his job, which in the end is reinstated to be a traveling job again, at least for now. Or he flies to wherever he wants and enjoys his air miles, I guess. But yeah, no, like I think that open ending also really helps make the movie for sure. Um, I think I kind of interpret it. I, I like to interpret it as I I hope he goes back home to his family because I feel like that was felt like the most unresolved thing where we know he's not there for his family at, at or he hasn't been like his whole life, mm-hmm. and it feels like the one thing he kind of learned. At least that that whole wedding scene, I mean, it's still relevant, but it'd be a lot more relevant if he were to go back to spend more time with his family, if that makes sense, and actually connect with them. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, we, I mean, like, when I say, like, disconnected, I mean, like, it's really awkward seeing him and his family interact because it doesn't seem like they know anything about each other. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that that's my, like, yeah. dream ending, I guess. I think, like, to me, the ending is, it's a really sad ending, but it doesn't have to be in a way like at the end based just on what's been in the movie it's he ends on a really sad note and it's not a hopeful ending but like there's enough in the movie that you can interpret it to be it's not depressing it's just sort of like what now but in the best way in a way i don't really know how to describe it really well but yeah that yeah well it's it's up in the air (laughs) Did, we, yeah, did I exactly. say that already? Like that's it's kind of cool that that's how the ending works out. It's it really is an up in the air ending where anything could happen. Up in the air. I'm not really sure how long this whole exercise is supposed to last. No, I don't even think of him that way. He's old. Rated R. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I I really enjoyed this movie. Um, it's it's not like the most artistic or amazing movie I've ever seen, but it's 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 like a really solid movie. I, I mean, I mean, we just talked about Tick, Tick, Boom. So I, I feel like it's it's hard to say, like, in terms of... I think they're both very, very solid. But then Up in the Air, even though it's very grounded, almost has it has that extra magic to it that I felt like Tick, mm-hmm. Tick, Boom was uh, missing. And that was in this. So I don't know. Yeah, I really liked it. Let's talk a little bit about the performances. And I think I'm going to skip George Clooney because most of what we said was, <laughs> was commenting on George Clooney's performance anyway. What did you think of Vera Farmiga in this? I mean, I mean, I remember you said she was your favorite. It. Yeah, well, I don't I, I think George Clooney's definitely... She's my favorite between the two sure. yeah, supporting actors. But yeah, I, I, I really liked her. I thought she, she blew me away with her performance. And I, I think that's... I mean, she's really able to sell that cold betrayal at the end. Because honestly, like, I feel like Vera Farmiga in general just has a like a, a more cold screen presence, if that makes sense. So that's why I was so surprised at the start, where she was extremely warm and friendly and charismatic. But I, I think it, you know, she very naturally subverts to a much more cold person at the end, too, which was, I guess, very shocking, you know. And that was a very vital scene to the movie. Is it weird to say, though, that even though she definitely sells that cold betrayal at the end, it never recontextualized for me anything before that? Because 
throughout the movie, she has this very warm persona, especially towards George Clooney. And at the end, there's that twist, obviously. But where I feel like a twist like that with most actresses or with most actors even, and potentially internally to the character of Ryan Bingham, would like recontextualize everything she'd done before as insincere. I didn't get that. To me, both the parts where she was really warm and the cold betrayal at the end, all of that felt sincere. Does that does that make sense? Like, I feel yeah. like all of that, yeah, she portrayed that as her relationship with Ryan Bingham was real. It was just real on her terms and her terms were not the same as his. Yeah, I, I think she just interpreted it very differently. Well, I mean, I, I think that that scene just shows the growth of the character or the George Clooney's character goes through. Because I mean, like at the at the start, I think he's very much like her. Where I, I think he would say something very similar, right? Like you're just you're just for fun, right? Mm-hmm. But then we're contrasted because he has seen so much growth throughout the movie that when he is, I guess, brought against facing himself, he is at the complete opposite end of the spectrum and surprised by <laughs> someone else treating him the way he might treat someone else. So I, I and it didn't feel like she was faking it before, if that makes sense. Like this wasn't yeah. like a twist in character. This was just more like a change in the dynamic of their relationship. Yeah. So yeah. And there were hints too. Like I remember, I vividly remember that scene on the boat where she's like, or I wish I could act at home like this, if that makes sense. Right. So obviously she is in a, a place in life where she might not be as, I guess, happy, but also she recognizes that she's made commitments. And I mean, other than the cheating part, (laughs) she's not necessarily honoring her commitments, but she recognizes that she has two separate lives, if that makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's a little ironic that she's telling George Clooney that he's being very childish um, because she's the one that's, you know, lying to her family, right? Whereas at least George Clooney's single. Um, He's not really lying to anyone, even though he is, I guess, in some ways, a very childish character, too. But There's another theme of this movie that plays into every single person in it. The main three characters of this movie are all very immature in very different ways. Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, there's that one scene with Anna Kendrick where she breaks down crying in the, the hotel. like, And this wasn't like a cry, like, like a mature sob. This was like a 12-year-old breakdown if that makes sense mm-hmm. of crying in like the middle of a hotel which was actually really i she played that really well i thought that was really well done mm-hmm. but yeah no there i think they are very immature characters that are i guess and in some ways it feels like they're calling each other out for each other's immaturity in different ways you know um but yeah. in the end like everyone changes except for vera farmiga's character i guess mm-hmm. um and they grow in different ways so yeah um but speaking of anna kendrick i mean I think you you might have some things to say about her. So, as I said, this is easily my favorite Anna Kendrick performance, at least of the ones we've seen so far. And I think that this is likely to stay on top for a while. I very much hope something else will become better than this, because I always want to see Anna Kendrick grow as an actor. But this is the finest performance I've ever seen from her by a long shot. And I think that like a big part of that is just that she has so much to do. She's a very integral part of this movie. Like, I think it's really cool that when we were talking about the Oscars earlier and 
we were talking about best supporting actress, you immediately went to Vera Farmiga and I immediately went to Anna Kendrick because to me that shows that they're like, they're both such integral parts of the movie. Like this movie could not be without either of them, or at Mm -hmm. least it couldn't be what it is. And I was blown away by how great Anna Kendrick was in this movie. First off, she brings the same energy that like you always expect from Anna Kendrick in this. And like, I actually wonder a little bit if after this movie and maybe one or two others right after it, she may have been in danger of being typecast because she does have that youthful, like small town girl energy in this movie. And while in this movie, that's just part of her character and it's sort of what she, well, I mean, in all of the movies, it's going to be at least part of her character. But in this movie, like she uses that to like play this, very naive girl straight out of college getting her first job in a pretty demanding job right away uh, in a very like major industry just out of the gate and like contrast that with George Clooney who like as an actor just exudes experience no matter what he's doing like (laughs) if you cast George Clooney as a manure farmer the first thing I would see in that movie is this is the most experienced manure farmer that's ever been (laughs) So, like, she's playing an ambitious 23-year-old in this movie. And at the time of filming this movie, she was 23. So, like, she brings exactly that to this movie and uses it to portray, like, this naive but very talented young woman entering a workforce that, as I've said before, doesn't really care about her very much. I think she does that really well, first off. Like, she's just great in that role. But then the way that she plays off of George Clooney, I mean, George Clooney could have incredible charisma with a rock, but uh, her, but like Anna Kendrick is able to match that. Like she's, she's able to match that and bring her own to it. She's able to challenge George Clooney enough that like they bounce off each other really, really well. And I think that her character, as you said, is basically the opposite of George Clooney's character in just about every way she has to be because George Clooney is very experienced at his job. She's never done his job, even though she's like been there for probably at least a couple of weeks at this point, but she's never actually done the part of his job that he does. So she's very naive in that role, but where George Clooney like is very immature and that he just basically can't imagine commitment. She literally moved to Nebraska, which very few people do. Most people move out of Nebraska, not the other way around. But she literally moved to Nebraska to follow a boy. So like she brings exactly the opposite amount of commitment to her character. Because George Clooney, like he won't settle down. She's constantly looking to settle down. And like she doesn't like the alternatives. So I think that like the way that they play off of each other with the specific ways in which they are opposite is really interesting. And like, especially when, you know, they crash a tech conference and they both have a wild night, George Clooney, uh, Ryan Bingham and Alex get a room and Anna Kendrick's character just sort of runs off with some kid from the tech conference. And afterwards, George Clooney, like kind of tries to mentor her on what this lifestyle is like. And instead of taking any of his advice she like violently rejects it and comes back with her own. And that becomes its entire own little subplot, which I think is really cool. Yeah. I just think that like, this is a movie where we have two supporting actresses 
that have to match George Clooney in terms of performance. And both of them are at least on his level. And I think that's incredibly impressive. And I think that that holds true for Anna Kendrick as well. Yeah. I mean, like you said earlier, this is like one of her, she's very young in this movie. So, I mean, just the ability to match George Clooney step for step with what he's doing uh, is really impressive, despite the fact that she actually isn't even in the movie like too, too much, right? She's really heavy in the second act, but like yeah. outside of that, not really. Yeah, she disappears in the third act, and the and she's not there in the first act, obviously. So, unless mm. we count the climax, um, but she brings a lot of presence. Um, I I kind of wish her character saw maybe more resolution, but I mean that's also a big part of the movie is just absence of resolution in a way. But I I would have liked maybe one last scene between her character and George Clooney's character because I I mean they have, they have a little scene where he recommends her for the job but I mean it felt very impersonal right and I, I was hoping that you know considering how much he'd grown we get more of a I care about you type thing or like I don't know but yeah either way I she, she was really really good at matching George Clooney but then also like her role in this is very similar to rocket science I guess in some ways where she plays a much more subdued character if that makes sense Mm-hmm. by the book and the, i guess this is for me at least it feels very outside of the general role we'll see her in um but i, I think she played it really well I, th- I think this shows me that she she can act like in a lot of different roles not just the general anna kendrick character um and that i wish we could see more of her in in roles like this because like you know i feel like she hasn't done it that much and she was nominated for an oscar at this age right so i think she has it in her um she's just never yeah. given the roles or she never takes the roles that she could get that are maybe more risky for her. Well, I definitely hope that we're going to see some more of those roles soon. I unfortunately just don't know where that could be. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I hope it does. But like looking at this list of movies, I'm not sure which is going to be the one. I've got a couple more questions for you and then I will suggest one that could be the one. We'll find out. But basically what I want to ask you is, I think this is probably going to be pretty apparent from our conversation already, but where would you rank this? First off in terms of movies that feature Anna Kendrick and then in terms of Anna Kendrick performances so far, where would you rank this? Definitely best Anna Kendrick movie for sure. The I guess the only other one off the top of my head that was close to this was the one with Jake Gyllenhaal and... End of Watch? Yeah, End of Watch. Um yeah. which wasn't barely an Anna Kendrick movie. <laughs> so this is, yeah. yeah. But yeah, this is definitely the best movie so far. Almost by a long shot, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And then also, uh, in terms of Anna Kendrick roles, I think I'd put Pitch Perfect in like the higher end. I'd say around there. I think they're very different roles because one is like, I feel like Pitch Perfect is the Anna Kendrick role, basically. And this is like her real, act, like a, more of an acting challenge. Um, but I'd say they're about the same. I feel like if we maybe saw more resolution and maybe a couple maybe more screen time from her she might have had more time to shine but um but i wasn't too amazed i I thought she was really good but i I was honestly kind of surprised she was nominated for best actress but i I still think this is a really good role i can't think of any roles i put above it like off the top of my head honestly what did i put above pitch perfect what what was your top one was it my top one was probably happy christmas actually christmas okay but yeah, I, this is very close to the top. But yeah, about a pitch perfect level, I'd say, from what I remember. Yeah, I mean, I would also put this, in terms of movies, right at the top. And I think it would be by a long shot. Yes, I still do think that Paranorman and Scott Pilgrim and End of Watch are very good. And they are up there. 
but they're nowhere close for me to Up in the Air. Up in the Air is very easily the crowning number one of the movies we've watched. And I would say the same thing for her performance in this. Because for me, this is just the best Anna Kendrick performance I've seen. And while there are other performances, I think that like she's a very good actress when she's able to act very naturally, like in Happy Christmas, or when she's in a role that she feels really comfortable in, like in Pitch Perfect. But this showed me in a role where she's really challenging herself and she's having to do a lot of much tougher acting than in a lot of the movies we've seen her in so far. And I can imagine that there would be a movie where she is better than in this movie, but I have not yet seen it. And I think that like, I was a little surprised as well that she was nominated for best supporting actress for this, but she would have easily been my pick. Like, I think this was a very well-deserved nomination even for best supporting actress. Like this, this does reaffirm my my love of Anna Kendrick as an actress. It's nice to be validated. But yeah, I, I it hope... It sure is. <laughs> I hope, uh, yeah, we see another Oscar-worthy role from her soon, even though I guess the latest movie I saw from her was Noel, and that does not reaffirm anything for me, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Well, Noel was definitely a very easy role for her, and I don't want to say that she phoned it in, because I don't think she did, but Noel was not a challenging role. I don't think. No. And so even if she'd been like really, really, really good in Noel, there's only so much you can do with that role. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we're going to start seeing her in really, really, really good roles. And the first of those, well, I don't know if this is the first of those, but the next one we're going to talk about anyway, is we're going to jump ahead seven years and we're going to jump out of 2009. Have we, we might've actually talked about everything. We've now talked about every movie she's been in before 2011. And now we're going to jump seven years in the future and talk about a movie called The Accountant. That's what we're going to talk about next week. And uh, we're going to bring on a person who I'm going to lovingly tease as the accountant. You'll, you'll know why next week when we bring him on. <laughs> <laughs>